Let's pray. Dear Lord Almighty, you are almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing. And you also want us to know you too. Please help us understand your word today that we may know you and respond appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen. As I introduced myself, you might have noticed that I said, Happy Lunar New Year instead of Happy Chinese New Year. That's because for me and my family, it's not about China at all. As you may know, my wife is Korean. But you also probably know that I am not Korean. <laughs> How do you celebrate Lunar New Year in your culture? As I look around the room, I can see lots of cultures here, but every family has a different culture. Everyone's going to do things a little bit differently. How do you celebrate Lunar New Year in your culture? I'm going to give you just 30 seconds. Chat amongst yourselves. What, what do you do for Lunar New Year in your culture? Please take 30 seconds to chat to, between yourselves. I know we could probably chat for hours about our culture, but if I keep letting you chat, you'll actually not get to do anything, so let's bring it back together. What do you do? Did you find some similarities in your culture? Have some differences? Maybe, maybe you're of the same culture, maybe you're of different cultures. I know, I know in our family, we have uh, the same tradition every year. In our family, we go to my in-law's house and uh, we, we celebrate uh, New Year there. We pay respects to uh, my wife's parents and, and our elders at that time. Uh, after we pay respects, we, we sit down to a bowl of dokguk, uh, which is a rice cake soup. Uh, it's delicious. It always hits the spot. But uh, my favourite part of tradition is not, not that stuff. My favourite part, I look forward to it every year. So we get dressed up in our humbok. That's, uh, it's an amazing garment. It's beautiful. It's colourful. Uh, we actually got one designed for our family this year. When we got to Korea. It was beautiful. Uh, in summer, it's really airy, made of silk. It breathes so well. It's, you can wear it on any day. But it's full length, so you can wear it in winter too. It's an amazing garment. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable wearing it down the street, though. Uh, <laughs> But I, I discussed with Warren here, I was like, Warren, I'm preaching on Lunar New Year. I'm going to wear my humbok as I preach. <laughs> and he was open to it. Uh, but I thought to myself as I, as I went through it, it's going to be so distracting for you because the whole time you're going to look at me in this and be thinking, this is cultural appropriation. Uh, I'm going to, I would stick out like a sore thumb because I'm not Korean. You know? it, it looks weird when I would wear this. However, when my wife wears it, she's ethnically Korean. So it just looks natural. It looks beautiful on her. No one really blinks an eyelid. Uh, but when it's not worn uh, on a Korean, it, it does look weird. I'm from Taree, you know. Like, that, if you don't know Taree, it's coastal Australia. Our, our cultural dress is board shorts, uh, thongs, a uh, bit of zinc on the nose. And that's it, you know. Uh, in my hometown, no one bats an eyelid if you're wearing board shorts. Like... Literally, only board shorts. No, no one cares. Uh, but if I wore board shorts to my, my wife's family on Lunar New Year, I'd be in big trouble. Um, even if they were my nice board shorts, you know. Uh, Lunar New Year is an important occasion. Uh, so 
We have to pay respects to our family. So we need to dress appropriately. What we wear says a lot about our identity, where we belong, but also what we value, who we really are. Uh, did you stress about that today? Do you, do you have that stress about what you wear? Does your, is your clothes communicating the right thing? Do you, do you stress about that coming to church? Is, are your clothes not clean enough? Is it the right outfit? Is this, is this the right clothes? Maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're not really focusing on anything else because you're just worried about what you're wearing. Am I dressed appropriately? Uh, is it saying the right thing about me? Do I fit in? Do I belong? We like to express our identity with what we wear. Today's passage from the Bible also addresses this same thing. It shows us that God is dressed appropriately and it leaves us with a question, are we also dressed appropriately? Today we're reading a psalm from the Old Testament which is like a poem. Uh, the, the book of psalms, the book of songs that was sung by God's people. This particular psalm, Psalm 93, it's a very short psalm, five verses, uh, but it's got some very powerful poetic devices and it communicates a very clear message. And uh, it's going to tell us very clearly that God is king and he's ruling over everything. We're going to read through this psalm again today and I want to encourage you to uh, have your Bibles open as we unpack it slowly. Read through it with me. It's found on page 931 if you've got a church Bible in front of you. Uh, we're going to go through it and we're going to read through it again and, and think about what God is saying to us. In this psalm, there is no question as to who is the king. The Lord God is king. By the way, when you see that in your Bibles, when you, when you read it at the very start, it says uh, Lord and it's all capitals. That's when, when they've written Yahweh. That's, that's God's personal name. They write Lord because it's so important, it's so valuable. They don't, they don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain. It's very special. They, they write it capitals. That's his personal name. Only he can say that. Yahweh means I am. That means he always was, he is, and he always will be. Only God can say that. Everything else has been created by him. He's still reigning. Let's read the first part of verse 1. It says... The Lord reigns. He's the king. If you're like me, it's pretty hard to picture what that sort of looks like. We have uh, King Charles, for example, as the Commonwealth. He's the king over Britain and the Commonwealth. But when we see him dressed up as a king, he doesn't elicit fear and trembling, does he? Uh, he's going to be dressed up very specially in May, but it's, he's, not, he's not very scary, is he? Not so with God. When God is dressed up, he is, he's dressed as a king. He's not just dressed for, for show. His belt is on. He is armed. He's ready and active to rule. He appears in, in a manner that indicates his proper dignity. He is dressed appropriately as a king who's actively reigning. Let's read the rest of verse 1 there. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Do you notice how the psalmist uses that repetition? Robed in majesty. Robed in majesty. It reinforces this, this ultimate grandeur and dignity. But when we think about the, uh, the monarchy, conversations about the republic swirl, 
We, we see Prince Harry sending out his autobiography, undermining his, his father's uh, rule. It seems like the British monarchy isn't very secure, but not so with God. Not so with God. This passage says the whole world is held together by his power. The world is secure because God is secure. Like, think about it. it. It can't be shaken or destroyed by the natural forces or by the power of men. It's not like the laws of um, gravity or acceleration, conservation of energy or mass. They, they can't be changed by an election, right? Uh, chemical forces are not going to suddenly rebel against God. No, the whole universe is held secure because God holds it secure. Because he is secure, he holds it firmly, eternally, universally. He always has been in power and he always will be. This next section of the psalm reminds us of this. Let's turn your eyes there with me. From the end of verse 1. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. Again, here we see the psalmist repeating that word, established. There's a sense of security and permanence in that, isn't there? Up to this point in the psalm, though, we, we see that God is king over the world universally. But in this next section, we see that there's conflict. There's conflict in this world. The world's in turmoil and danger. If you don't know much about Israel and the Old Testament, uh, you may not have realised that Israel's very land-based. They're, they're a very land-based people group. They are very fearful of the open water. They don't like seas. You might like the ocean, though. You might like going to the beach. Uh, but you've got to think about it from someone else's perspective. Like if you've got friends uh, from overseas who've never seen the ocean before or people who live out west uh, or people from the Midwest in America, they, they get really weird around the beach. They, they, they're, they're awkward. Same, same as Israel. When, when you talk about the, the ocean, they, they start thinking about Jonah, you know, the, the prophet who went out on the open seas and the sea went nuts. The wind and the waves crashed and he's thrown off the boat. It's a scary thought. Talking about water and waves can conjure up some scary and emotive responses for us too. Here in Australia, we've experienced that over the last year, haven't we? These images, oh, were scary seeing the amount of water that was rushing through. We have no control over such events. But the psalmist here, I don't think he's speaking about the weather. Uh, Israel is strategically placed between all the ancient superpowers. It sits right between uh, Africa and Asia, and Europe. They often had no control over what was happening around them. They're a small little nation. And things around them get bad. They get bigger and worse. And they grow and grow. They, they can't control it. They keep getting attacked again and again. We see this all throughout Israel's history. So it appears maybe this psalm was written with these things in mind, reminding them that God is in control. When they felt threatened as a nation by some hostile power. But it also could be a more personal turmoil. It might have been written in a time when people had turned away from God. It wasn't the popular thing to follow God and to obey his commandments. It wasn't the normal thing to do anymore. The voices against God were getting louder and louder and his faithful people were being tossed and turned by the relentless waves of the persecution around them. Regardless, this psalm personifies those raging ways. They rise up to intimidate and destroy. 
again and again and again. It elicits that, that trouble, that conflict and danger against God and his people. Let's see that from verse 3. Read with me, verse 3. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Did you notice that accumulating effect of that threefold repetition? The seas have lifted up. The seas have lifted up. The seas have lifted up. It feels like set after set are pounding you in the surf. You're worried about when your next breath will be. But the next verse tells us who is more powerful. While the forces of the world get bigger and bigger and bigger, the psalmist reassures the reader that even God is mightier than these things. He's mightier than the intimidating waves, these relentless waves, the crashing oceans, because he's got the whole world in his hands. Like, look at this picture behind us. This is a picture that comes out of Isaiah 40, verse 12, where it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? That's God. He's measured the the universe with the breadth of his hand. How much bigger is God than the waves? Like, can you even see the waves in this picture? The waves are so small compared to him. He controls them. The psalmist emphatically asserts there's no violence of the elements can affect God's dominion in this world. Let's read with me. Verse 4. See that in verse 4. Mightier than the thunder of great waters... Mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. The psalmist uses that repetition again. Mighty, mightier. The Lord on high is mighty. What a relief, right? That God is in control. He reigns even over the winds and the waves. What can't he do then? So far, this poem has emphatically declared who God is. His might, his dominion. His power reinforced by this repetition, this repetition. In this last section, the psalmist finishes this short poem completely differently. No repetition, just a couple of statements. The point of that is this is the lens in which we're supposed to stop and reflect on everything else that we've read. It's the lens that helps us to see the rest of the poem. It takes the truth of who God is from the previous sections and draws out some implications for us as we think about them. It reminds them that this God who reigns, he also speaks. He also speaks and everything God has spoken, his statutes, his commandments, his promises, his prophets, they stand the test of time. We're reading them today. And not just his words don't change, his house the Lord's house, his temple, that is, where he connected with his people, that should be adorned with holiness. Because God is holy, the temple should be adorned with holiness. It should represent that too. Read with me the last verse, verse 5. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. What a beautiful poem. Though the last verse really does stand out. Psalm 93 is declaring God's worthiness, worthy to be trusted in, worthy to to rely on. It imparts confidence in God, assurance of who he is and our place with him, that God is in control, his kingdoms are safe, and his words are worth obeying. So can you see what God is saying in this psalm? God is king. God is timeless. Though troubles rise up, he is mightier. And his word stands true. 
This psalm is still true for us today. It is truly timeless. We, we could just leave it there and go out assured of who God is, particularly in our troubles. But we shouldn't just leave it there. Because when we think about this psalm through the eyes of Jesus, we see there's even greater depth of insight. There's more treasures in here when we think about who Jesus is. Though it doesn't speak about him in this psalm, when we read this and we hold it up to the gospel, we realize he is clearly here. This psalm is actually about Jesus. Remember in, in John 18, or throughout the old gospel, Jesus claims to have a kingdom. He's a king. Not like King Charles. He's the mighty king over the universe, the one who holds the whole world in his hands. And whilst it's good to know that God holds the universe in his hands, images like that we saw with hands, they can make it think like he's so distant. He doesn't really care about us. How small are we compared to God? But in Jesus, we see that God does care. In Jesus, God came down to us. And we know that he's the king because the psalm says, Yahweh is king. The Lord reigns right at the start. And Jesus too claimed to be king. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Either Jesus was crazy or he really was Lord. Let's look more about Jesus' life and you'll see that Jesus is Lord. He is this Lord in this psalm. You see, this psalm reflects Jesus, that he is mightier even than the waves. Remember, in the, in the face of the raging storm, Jesus spoke and everything went still. He was mightier than the waves because he spoke and they just stopped. Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? The Lord is mighty. Jesus is mighty. Jesus also spoke of his words standing firm. He said that his words will never fail. But in this poem, we see that only God's words and statutes can never fail. Who is this man whose words don't fail? Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, he's demonstrating the truth of this psalm, isn't he? That Jesus is king. Jesus is Yahweh, the great I am, and his words never fail. In Jesus, we know that the huge problems are in the, of this world are in his hands because this is his world. But we also know that the smallest of us, the most insignificant of us, that we are in his hands because he loves his children. Jesus loves his children. He comes alongside. He knows and cares for the sick and the vulnerable. He cares for every storm that's going on in our lives. He is mightier. This psalm reminds me of a comforting children's song. It's a song that I know I've sang in my adulthood when I feels like life is out of control. It's, it's a very simple song, but it has a very important truth, the truth of this psalm. It says, the Lord is king. He's going to look after everything, every single thing in this world. Because this is his world. This psalm reminds us of that truth, doesn't it? It's a beautiful truth that can calm your heart when the world seems against you. That the Lord Jesus is king. But as we read Psalm 93 today, two questions now loom over our lives. The first question is, is Jesus your king? Is he the king in your life? And the second question is, am I clothed appropriately? Let's think about that first question. Is Jesus my king? Now, here in Australia, we might think of King Charles being our king. But if you're not Australian, 
maybe you come from a different system of government. He's not your king. That's, that's not very important to you. But that's not what we're talking about in this passage. It's not about Koreans or Australians. It's about which kingdom do we spiritually belong to. So let's find out. Let, let me ask you a few questions to see if you belong to the Lord's kingdom. Okay? It has some implications as I ask these questions because you might be sitting there deciding, actually, you know what? I do want to be part of God's kingdom. I do want to be part of God's kingdom. And if you pass this test just today, that's going to be granted to you immediately. But don't worry, though. It's not like the Australian citizenship test. It's pretty easy to pass this one. Uh, it's very, very simple. This, I'm just going to ask three questions, and uh, let's see how we go. In your heart, do you recognise that you don't meet God's standards? That's the first question. Do you, do you know that you don't measure up to God's level? That You've broken the rules. The second one is, have you apologised to God and asked for his forgiveness for ignoring his rules, minimising his rules, or just plain out rebelling against his rules? And are you trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection to be reconciled with God, that he would forgive you on account of Jesus? Those three things. Did you answer yes to each of those simple questions? If you did, that's saying that you are part of God's kingdom. You belong to his kingdom. He's your king. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has qualified you to be part of his kingdom. If you haven't received Jesus, why wouldn't you though? He is the king. He is eternal. He is in power. He's bigger and mightier than the troubles of this world. You should belong to him. And if Jesus is your king, we heard last week what that means, that God's spirit is within us. And if God's spirit is within you, that actually makes you part of his temple. And that quest, second question remains, are we clothed appropriately? Obviously, we're not talking about what we're dressed today in or our humbocks or board shorts. It's, uh, it's not about what citizenship we, of status we have in this world. It's not, not physical. We're talking about spiritual things, the spiritual world. How are we clothed spiritually? This psalm tells us the only way that's appropriate. In this psalm, holiness adorned God's temple. As we are the temple of God, with God living in us through Jesus... Are we clothed with holiness in our lives? Have we put on the clothes of God's kingdom? Or are we still wearing the clothes belonging to this world? What I mean by this, this that might seem about out there, but what I mean by this is, what's our identity ruled by? What, what identity are we ruling by, by the way that we live our lives and present ourselves to the world? What are we proclaiming by the way that we live our lives? Are our identities shaped by our desires, whatever we're desiring, are we, are we just driven by our sensuality? Do we give in to every desire that comes our way? Is that who we are known for? Is that who we proclaim to be? Are we, are we governed by our desires? Alternatively, are we also governed by where we live? Do we compare ourselves to those around us? Are we driven by greed and pride? Are they what clothes us? Now, there's fundamental things that in our lives. We actually need to get rid of those things. They belong to an old identity. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians to take these things off. Don't be defined by our desires or our greed. They are, they are corrupted. They, they deceive us. In Ephesians 4, he says, don't walk around like the world anymore. He says, the world has given themselves up to sensuality. 
They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And it continues on. He says, so put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. God's house was the temple, his visible presence in the world, where people could see what he is like, understand who he is, and respond in trusting and obeying him. The Apostle Paul puts it, he continues on, he says, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Put on the new self, being created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So as those belonging under this mighty, holy, eternal God, what do people see when they meet you? What do they see in your lives, the way that you live your life? You are called to be adorned with holiness so that people can see the transforming power of God. Like in this, in this room here, you don't see many images on the walls. That's not the part that's supposed to be adorned with holiness. It's your lives. We come together. We are the temple. Our lives need to be adorned with holiness. Is that what we're proclaiming to the world? Do you realize you have God's presence within you? He sets you apart. You are now different. So clothe yourself in holiness. So if Jesus is your king, dress appropriately. If Jesus is your king, our lives should look more and more like him every day. We should proclaim him very clearly. How can we grow to to become more and more like him? We have to know what he's like. We know what he's like because he speaks to us in his word. How can we do that? We can meet together and think about dressing our lives in the right way. We meet together with other people who are thinking about the same things. Things like coming to church regularly. We get to know who Jesus is. We can become more like him. We come together at Bible study with our brothers and sisters. Uh, when I think about my sister and clothes, like I, you always knew when I was dressed by my sister because she would dress me well, uh, not just board shorts. Uh, she would, when I'd go out of the house, my sister would be someone who'd say, uh, try again. Uh, and she'd give me some guidance about how I should be dressing myself so I don't look stupid in front of other people. Likewise, when you're at Bible study, you're surrounded by brothers and sisters who love and care for you. And they're going to help guide you in the way that you're thinking and living your lives. We need to think about being part of Bible study regularly, opening our lives up to to others in Bible study so that they can speak into our lives and help us to dress our lives appropriately as citizens of God's kingdom. There in love, we can gently guide and help each other, put off the old ways of our lives. Recognize we have a king over us who rules. Put on the new clothes and become more like him. This year, as we read God's word, remember who you are in him, what you're called to be like. Continue to put off the old ways of this world of sensuality and greed and put on holiness. Because just as it looks really weird for me to walk around in a humbuck, it looks really weird for you to be calling yourself Christian and being dressed as a citizen of the world, not as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Live your lives clothed in holiness. It's not right for you to be called a Christian and live the ways of this world. The Lord is king. He is dressed appropriately. He's working out all things to bring you home to him. So if you trust in him, put on holiness now. Put off the old life. Put on the new. Dress appropriately as part of his kingdom. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you 
that you have given us a new identity, a new citizenship into your kingdom. Help us to dress appropriately, to live our lives in a way that's holy, set apart from this world, living as you would want us to live, living as you, reflecting you in everything that we do. With your spirit within us, give us the strength to do this, to put off the old ways of our life and to put on the new so that all people would see you clearly and respond appropriately. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.